I think. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, God is at work. And everybody that is a Christian, when they come to know Christ, they are given a gift. And God has a unique, specific plan for that person. Um for where they live, for what they do for a living with their family, with their church. And we want to help you discover what that is and go through that with you. So that's what we're doing for six weeks. So if you've ever asked the question, God, what's your will for my life? That's kind of how we say it in church. God, what's your will for me? Or maybe if you haven't been in church your whole life, you just say, God, do you have a plan for my life? God does have a plan for your life. And we want to help you discover what it is and help pull you in and, and do it. That's part of what church is is that we discover where we fit and then we go do it together. It isn't like, oh good, you're good at this, go figure out where to do it. We wanna help you with that. So it's gonna be kind of an intense but fun six weeks starting next week. So come, invite a friend, and we'll have some fun. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we, uh, we gather to worship you, the eternal God, the creator God, the God who loved us, who made us in his image, you initiated a relationship with us and we broke it through sin. And then you stepped down and you did everything needed to reconcile us back to you through Jesus. We thank you. Now we, we gather here today to worship. Uh, we begin 2017 desiring to worship you because we love you. And it's simply a response to your love for us. Uh, you started it. We love you. I pray that this year, 2017, would be a year where we do discover or we grow in our knowledge of who you are. Uh, an understanding of what you're doing in this world and specifically in this city and in our lives and that we step on board with what you're already planning to do. And then I, I just pray that we would get to witness you do amazing things, life change in our lives and in others' lives, that we would see you at work and we would honor you with that. We would celebrate what you're doing and you would get all the glory. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was reading a, a book I think it was yesterday or the day before. And in the book, it was talking about church, and it said, in the United States, 85% of American churches are shrinking in size, 85%. Only 15% are actually growing. And of those 15%, only 1% are growing through conversion. So, you hear that? 1% of the 15% of churches that are growing are growing through conversion. What that means is that people are just jumping around churches <laughs> and we're not actually doing a lot of new people getting saved, which means we are, in general, as American Christians, getting in our groups, having some fun, and going, look what we have, and that's, and that's it. And we're not actually getting out and carrying out the mission that God has given the church, the mission to make disciples. Uh, we talk about it often here that our purpose, the reason you were created, is to know and love God. That's why you were made. God doesn't need you to do anything for Him done. He's chosen you. He wants you and his family to love you. But now we have a mission. Now that we have all this, now that we're sons and daughters of the king, we now have a mission and it's, and it's an honor to be part of it to go bring the gospel to others. So the church, you know, and this is one of those phrases that people, you might go, huh? The church actually exists for those who aren't here yet. Do you hear that? The church exists for those who aren't here yet. And that rubs us a little wrong. Because we're like, well, no, it, it is all about worship, and it is. But we exist, and we're organized, really, to go out and to expand the kingdom, to share the gospel. So then why is it that Carson City specifically, one in ten attend church regularly? 
90%, over 90%, if these stats are right, and they're close at least, over 90% don't attend church on a weekly basis. Now you can say there's some that probably know Christ that don't come to church, and there's many that do come to church that don't know Christ. So somewhere in there, 90%. So if you were taking a class, is 90% a good grade? For me, it is. <laughs> For me, I'm, I'm satisfied with 90%. That's an A. That's an A. So let's think about this from our enemy's perspective. Satan is getting an A in Carson City. Do you get that? The devil is getting an A. He's getting a very high grade of success in this city. And the question comes down to why? Because we're here. You're here. I'm here. How is it that Satan is getting a good grade? And that's what I want to look at today a little bit. How is Satan winning? And, and here's some up. We're going to be in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. So you can go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, grab the one in the seat pocket in front of you. Or pillow out your phone. That's great. Um, we generally use the ESV. Not because it's better. It's just what we've chosen to use. So you can use anything you want. But if you're looking at NIV or something, you go, hey, this isn't the same. It's close. Uh, but Ephesians chapter 6. It's page 1082 in the Bible under your seat. But here's kind of the point today. We have forgotten that our battle is not a physical one. It's a spiritual one and must be fought with spiritual weapons. We have forgotten that our battle is not a physical one. It's a spiritual one and must be fought with spiritual weapons. I'm going to read Ephesians 6. 10 through 17 to start with. Ephesians 6, start from verse 10, says this. This is Paul, and you see this is one of his arguably greatest letters that he wrote, the book of Ephesians. It's kind of like Romans, Cliff Notes version. Uh, and he's summing it up in this way at the very end. These are, these are his last words in this book. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you will be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I wanted to start mainly looking at verse 10 through 12. And in verse 12, you know, he's going to go into the army. He says, put in the whole armor of God. And here's why, verse 12, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Do you realize that? I mean, we get so wrapped up in conflicts in life and struggles and troubles, and we think that, like in a marriage, we think our spouse is the issue, when really you're probably the issue. But we think our spouse is the issue. Or at work, we have trouble with somebody. We think they're the problem. But really, what the Bible says is that our battle really isn't against other people. Even an enemy, a physical enemy that might want to kill you, I mean, that's a battle, but 
what's really going on is something in a higher plane that we can't see physically spiritual. This is talking about demonic warfare. Now, maybe you've seen the movie uh, The Usual Suspects. This is the greatest trick the devil ever played is convincing the world he didn't exist. You know, you wonder why you read the Bible and you're like, oh, there's all this demonic possession and things like that. I think part of the reason that that's not so obvious today is the devil has figured out that now the best way for him to do it is just, you know, the people don't believe in God, they don't believe in me either. I just do my things and they don't even know I'm doing it. You know, it's a different way of fighting, but our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual battle. And we're not going to go through all the pieces of the armor. That's not our point today. But we'll sum up all the armor. The armor is basically put on Jesus. Put on Jesus. So if you're wondering what the armor, every piece really is Jesus. The sword that you take up is the Word. Jesus is the living Word. So really it's taking on Jesus, and we talk about this often, that if we're going to do anything worthwhile for God in this world, it's not going to be us doing it. It's going to be Jesus doing it through us. And so it's the same way as we battle, we do it by putting on Jesus. But here's a little bit about the enemy. First Peter 5, 8. First Peter 5, 8 says this. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Our enemy, is he's roaming the earth right now. He's roaming the earth, you can't see him, and he's looking for people to devour. But 1 John 4, 4 says, little children, this is speaking to Christians, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So here's the, a little bit of the, the picture of the spiritual battle. There is an enemy, he wants to destroy people. If you're a Christian, he does want to destroy you also. He cannot take your salvation away, but he can try and get in and prevent you. Uh, a good book is Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It's a fictional book, but it's kind of an interesting look at two demons talking about how to get somebody. Uh, and the one demon, his person, becomes a Christian. And the other one writing to him says, well, it's not over yet. You can still take them down. You can prevent them from carrying out their mission and all God wants them to do. Uh, and so it's kind of interesting, but there is this battle. But John wrote, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater, that's Jesus, right? Remember the beginning of John? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. In the very beginning, who created with the Word? Jesus did. In the beginning, where did the devil come from? He was an angel, and he was created by a word from Jesus. Jesus created him an angel good. So, I mean, there's, this is like us fighting an ant. Jesus and the devil. I mean, it's not even a battle. It's not even a battle. But the question is, how do we fight? It, now, for us, us taking on a spiritual opponent, we're going to get whooped. I mean, let's be honest. We're going to get whooped. But greater is he who is in you. That is Jesus. So how can we fight this battle? And as I was preparing this, I thought, you know, what does it look like to win? You know, here's this, this spiritual, we can't see it, what's going on. How do we know when we're winning. And I think Galatians 2.20 is one of those verses that we can point out. Does your life look like Galatians 2.20? It says, I am crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Does your, in your life personally, are you dead to yourself? And is Jesus living through you? When you come in with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents, 
and you're wronged, which will happen because they're human, do you lash out at them or do you go, you know what, I'm dead to myself, I have no rights. Jesus is alive in me and I'm now free to love that person. That's, that's what victory looks like. Or I, I summed it up another way, I kind of added this. This morning as I was just studying again, success looks like faithfulness. And, and this is a big deal to me, you know, this year because, you know, how does, how does a pastor measure success? You know what I mean? We, I mean, we want to be successful in life. And so business, you can build a business. Look at this business I built. Um, or whatever it is, you, you know, how, how does a pastor measure success? By how much the church makes? <laughs> By how many people are there? No. <laughs> I, those are not the right measures to see. I, I mean, it's how do you measure it? And the thing that God has told me over and over this year is the way you measure success is faithfulness. Not by anything you produce. God says, I'm going to judge you based on your faithfulness. Are you doing what I told you to do? Regardless of the results. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's success, faithfulness. So for you, for you, what has God asked you to do? And are you faithful doing it? Guess what? Then you're successful. Then you're living the life God has for you. That's, that's the way to be living. You're not going to be perfect. But are we faithful? And so looking at this battle that we have, this spiritual battle, how can we be faithful in this spiritual battle? Skipping over the armor, look at verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The way that we can win the battle is prayer. The way that we can win the battle with this very real enemy is prayer. That's our main point today, but I'm not done. I want you to take a minute and think about this year because this is what we looked at January 6th last year. And maybe you were here, maybe you weren't, but I want you to think about yourself this year. What does your prayer life look like? What has your prayer life looked like? Have you made time on a regular basis to stop and pray? And I'm not just while you're doing something else, because I have that tendency. I'm going to pray while I do something. I can multitask. No. Have you made it a priority to stop and to pray for more than 30 seconds a day? Because if not, I would argue, maybe you're not winning the battle. Maybe you're not even seeing what's going on, or maybe you're not even in the battle. The American church, and I think many of us, and me, a lot of times in my life, uh, comfortable, complacent, meaning the enemy's not even gonna bother with us. Where does an enemy attack? You know, as I was preparing this, I, I thought of Pearl Harbor. Why did Japan attack Pearl Harbor? You know, they had a ceremony recently in Japan, it was there. I think that was this last week or something, right? Doug, am I right? Yeah. Remembering what happened in Japan was there, or, or their, one of their leaders was there, part of that. But why did Japan decide to attack Pearl Harbor? That was where all our ships were in the Pacific. I mean, I mean, most of them. That was where our strength was to attack. And they're like, we're going to hit them where they're strong and take them out. The devil's no different. He's an enemy. He's going to try and attack where we can be offensive. So we want to be a church that reaches the world. 
We don't want to be comfortable. We don't want to be complacent, which means we're going to be attacked. This year, I'm not going to take a show of hands, but I know some of you in here, we've had conversations this year of, I'm under attack right now. You know, there's one person that came up to me some months ago, and he said, you know, all this stuff has been going on, and I've been wondering what's going on. My wife came up and said, don't you remember? You know, we, we kind of talked about this. We're under attack. If we're actually going to be part of what God wants to do, expanding his kingdom, the enemy's going to come after us. And this guy's like, oh yeah, I'm dumb. <laughs> he didn't say it that way. But this year, you know, Callie would tell you, this has been the hardest year of our life. Probably by far. It's been a difficult, wonderful, wonderful year. But if you're going to go for the kingdom, the enemy's going to come after you. And it's going to hurt. There's going to be casualties. You know, we've had friends, there's been casualties in the last year. And it's hard. But that's why we have this. That's why Paul wrote this. And we're going to see how he talks about fighting this battle. It's not against people. It's a spiritual battle. And it isn't worth it. Is it worth it to enter the battle? Because if we're going to have lives that make a difference, it's going to be a fight. And it's going to be so easy to give up. So let's look at this verse. Look at 18 with me. Well, here's, here's a quote. Vance Pittman, he's the pastor of uh, Hope Church down in Las Vegas. The one of our partner churches. Um, he, he says this, that God in his sovereignty has chosen to limit his activity to the prayers of his people. God in his sovereignty has chosen to limit his activity to the prayers of his people. This is difficult stuff. And as I was studying, I read this all over. Many people saying things like, you know, God doesn't work apart from the prayers of his people. I thought, but God is sovereign. I think that's why he writes this in his quote. God is sovereign. Isn't he going to do things without us? And, And yes, but for some reason, God has chosen on this earth to work through his church, his people. I don't fully get it, but that's what he's chosen to do. And there's something dependent on prayer. And our goal, our goal is to be a praying church. My goal is to be a praying individual. And I hope yours is too. Parents, grandparents, are you are you praying for your family? Are you praying for your kids? Because here's a note. This is in your notes. Our battle is spiritual and our greatest weapon is prayer. Do you get that? Our greatest weapon is prayer. And we try and be creative. We try and do all these other things. You know, we need to do Bible study. Absolutely. But our greatest weapon is prayer. The reason is because biblical prayer is an act of desperation of a soul completely dependent on God. When you genuinely pray dependent on God, you're putting the fight in His hands. You're putting everything in His hands, and that's when things can get done. When we maintain control, I can do it. And I know many of us in here, we're good at stuff, right? You're good at some things. You're very capable. And so you go and you do it in your own strength, and you wonder, you know, maybe why is it as successful as you hope? Because biblical prayer is an act of desperation of a soul completely dependent on God. Look at verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Now I want to get into that a little bit. But first I want us to think, who is our example? In Scripture, who are we supposed to pattern our lives after? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, God in flesh. 
did Jesus have to pray? Crazy thing. Jesus, God in flesh, you would think that if anybody could just do it, he could. And I think he probably could. But what we see in Jesus as our example is he was, a, he was devoted to prayer. In Luke 6, 12 and 13, it says this. It's talking about Jesus. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. All night. And when day came, he called his disciples and he chose from them 12 who he named apostles. Jesus had a big decision to make. He was deciding on who were gonna be his close 12. He knew he needed an inner group that he could really dig into and he's wondering who they should be. So he spent all night in prayer. Then he called his disciples and he picked the 12 that maybe you know most of their names. Jesus, all night in prayer before a big decision. But then, Mark 1.35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed. This is Jesus still. He went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. We see in Jesus a pattern of big things happen. He spends a long time in prayer. We see a pattern of every day, even when he was really, really busy, even when he was up late into the night, the night before, he would be up early, going to a private place to pray, not in a crowded restaurant. He went to a private place to pray. This is Jesus. We're supposed to pattern our lives after him. So what does this prayer look like? How do we do this? In verse 18, Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all times. That means always keeping an open channel with God, praying at all times, in all circumstances. That's part of this being dead to self and alive to God, that we're constantly dependent. We don't go to prayer, you know, Sunday mornings, um, just at dinner. We kind of always have this communication going on with God, always open. And we're praying in the Spirit. We're praying in the Spirit. I think this is really helpful because what does this mean? Praying at all times in the Spirit. I used to think that this just meant silence. Praying in my mind. Yeah, I should always, in my mind, be praying silent. And I think that's part of it. But in the Spirit, this is really talking about in the Holy Spirit. You see, Spirit there is capitalized. Praying at all times in the Spirit. This means praying in line with the Spirit. This changes the ball game of prayer. This isn't Jesus is my genie in a bottle, and I go, oh, I need this. Oh, God, give me a new car. This means we need time in the Word, time praying, seeking what is the Holy Spirit doing so we can align our prayers with what He's doing. That's what prayer is successful. When we pray in line with what He wants to do, that's what praying in the Spirit means. So, I, I like this example. We have a ship here. And uh, the, the ship is the church, for one. Uh, the ship is your life. The ship could be your family, but let's just use it as, as the church in general because that's what we're here. We're the church. Uh, we're on mission for God. So the ship has all kinds of things that need to be done, right? Just like in a church or in a family. Uh, you got to do the rigging and I don't know the words. Um, jive ho. I don't know. But you, you gotta, you got to do all the stuff, right? You know, somebody's got to be at the helm doing this. Somebody's got to be in the bottom patching holes. There's work. <laughs> There's work that needs to be done on the ship, right? But you can be doing all that, and the ship's not going to move unless you hang the sails. Now, there's no motor on this. I'm mean, a sailboat. Hanging the sails is prayer. So you can do all this other work, which is what we do. And this is why this is so powerful for me, because I'm kind of a doer. Like, okay, what do we need to do to get done? What's the right strategy or whatever? Uh, I want my kids to be successful in life, so what do I need to do to make them successful in life? 
And so we want to do all these things. And so we, you need to do things. That's good. You know, plan and study and, and, and do. But the ship still won't move unless you hang the sails. Because what is it that moves? What is it that moves a ship? A sailboat. What is it that moves a sailboat? Wind. Haha. You got it. So even hanging the sails doesn't move the ship. The wind moves the ship. And the wind is the Holy Spirit. The wind is the one, the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to move the ship, uh, the boat, the, the church, you and me, as the, the Spirit is going to move. And we get in line with what He's doing by hanging the sails. The sails are prayer. As we go to prayer, we're not just asking God for things. We're going to prayer to align ourselves with Him. And as we do that, we get to know what he wants to do. Where is he going? What does he want from, from me? That's why we're doing this game plan series. And as we do that, we start to get a picture of what he wants to go, what he wants to do. And then the Holy Spirit's already blowing that direction. So we hang these sails, we get, uh, and we start to move in his direction. That's the benefit of prayer. What do I do with my kids? <laughs> you know, when there's trouble going on or whatever it is, the Holy Spirit has a plan. So we spend time in prayer, get in line, and then we move in the direction he wants to move. Judging on this verse, here's in your notes, be in constant communication with God, united in spirit and desire. And desire. I think that's part of this praying in the spirit is we want what God wants. We want what God wants. As you get to know God, you fall in love with Jesus, you'll, he'll change you from the inside out. This question has been asked, how do I know I'm a Christian? Well, I think you'll know because you'll start to change. You'll start to love what God loves. And as you desire what God desires, you'll pray in line with his desires, not selfish desires. Read the book of James where it talks about prayers that aren't answered. You, you pray, you keep praying, and you don't get what you want because you're praying for selfish motives, for these things that you want. You know, you're just, it's for you. And God's not listening to those prayers. He wants you to pray in line with his spirit to go his direction, which means being part of a church which means uh, being in the Word. It means trying to get in line with what God is doing. Be in constant communication with God, united in spirit and desire. And then he says this, with all prayer, it's still verse 18, pray at all times in the spirit, it means in line with the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. With all prayer and supplication. The word could be put in there, all kinds of prayer. That's what he means. Pray different kinds of prayers. You know, typically, you know, maybe starting out young, we pray one kind of prayer. Oh, help! <laughs> or, I need this, or God, you know, give me that. But he's saying prayer, pray all kinds of prayer. That's why I like the pattern Acts, maybe you've heard this. Uh, as you begin, Acts, A-C-T-S, so how do you pray? Begin with adoration. Do you begin your prayers that way, adoring God? Recognizing who He is? So you're not asking for anything, so Acts, adore, confess. You confess your sins to Jesus. That's part of prayer, confessing. Adore, confess, and then the T is thank. You spend time in thanksgiving. And then the last one is supplication. And that's what he says here with all prayer and supplication. That's the request we make. And when we get to the request, are they mostly selfish for things we want? Or are we praying for what God would do in other people's lives? Praying for others, but also not just praying for others. You know, God hit me with this when Brendan was, I've shared this before, when Brendan was in Panama. And our first prayers when Brendan was in Panama on this mission trip was God protect him. And then we went, oh, wait, we want his faith to grow. God, give him what he needs for his faith to grow. Make it hard. You know, Logan's not here, but Logan was at 
our house last night, and, and Logan got really sick on that trip. He got really sick. I don't remember what he got, but he was in the bathroom a lot. And that was really hard. I mean, but it was really hard because the bathroom was on the end of a pier uh, out in the ocean when the waves came. You got, yeah. But part of it, part of all this was, it was hard. It was hard, hard, but their faith grew. Their faith grew. And so are we praying in line with the Spirit what God would do, not just our selfish American comfort motives? This is hard, I'll admit, this is hard for me. I have to often, when I'm praying, take a time out, readjust my mind to pray according to the Spirit. But with all kinds of prayer and supplication. And to that end, he says in verse 18, keep alert with all perseverance. Keep alert with all perseverance. That alert is the picture of a, a watchman in battle. You know, uh, back in the day, you know, when, when they would, even probably now, when you set up camp and you, you have all your warriors and they bed down, you have a watchman. And they better not fall asleep because what if the enemy attacks at night? You have a watchman that's alert, watching. That's what he's saying. We are alert and watching in prayer. Do you get this? Our battle is spiritual. Our enemy is spiritual. We need to fight with spiritual weapons. How do you know what the enemy is doing if you're not spending time in prayer asking God to reveal to you what's going on spiritually? I mean, it's hard for us to think this way, I'll admit, because we're American and, and we think very physical. We do, very material. But as we pray, we, we, we open our eyes and ask God, God, show me what you need to show me. That's often my prayer. Because I don't even know which way I need to go. <laughs> you know, I pray, God, show me what I need to know. God, what do I not know right now that I need to know? Because I don't know that I need to know it. So, give it, put it in His hands. God, show me where the enemy is attacking. Show me where we need to build up a fence. Whatever it is, be alert. Be alert in prayer. And he says this also in verse 18. Uh, keep alert with all perseverance. With all perseverance. We have to persevere. Has anybody ever gotten tired in their spiritual life? You hear some laughing. I see some nodding. <laughs> it takes perseverance. Any parents ever gotten tired as parents? Any wives ever gotten tired with your husbands? <laughs> I'm not going to go the other way because that never happens. Life takes perseverance. The mission takes perseverance. We're a young church. We've only been around about a year. And I'm excited for what God is doing, but guess what? It's hard. And we have to persevere. We have to keep, and we have to go through down times and difficult times. And it takes perseverance. A good warrior doesn't give up right away. It takes perseverance. And I, I've seen this. You know, I'm not going to share specifics. It's not people here. But I've seen parenting where they took the easy way. As kids, they just gave the kids what they want. We'll just do it the easy way. They didn't persevere. They didn't discipline. They didn't do the hard thing when the kid needed the hard thing. They didn't do what was best for them. They did what the kid wanted. And then that kid grows up. And then they do all kinds of horrible things. And guess what? Now the kid is 40, 50 years old and mom and dad are still having to take care of them. They didn't persevere in parenting earlier and, and give it to God. And now they're dealing with it later persevere do the hard things but the way we persevere as christians in the spiritual is prayer meaning get up early or whatever it is spend time whenever works for you find that time go to prayer and it's going to be hard it's going to be hard I, I think it's on purpose that god had me teach this message now because for me you know i made a commitment early in 2016 we need to be a praying church and i need to be a praying individual and and I did fairly well up until the last couple months 
because things got really busy. And I would be up later, and so I would sleep in. And, and, and the last couple months have not been as good. I have not persevered as well in the last couple months because I've been busier. That's no excuse. So you can't sit there and go, oh, the pastor stumbles sometimes. It's okay for me. No. <laughs> no, the point is we're human, but, but we need to persevere, which means we recognize what's going on. Okay, and now we're going we're gonna to double down on going to prayer, walking in the Spirit, letting Him be in control. Remain alert. This is in your notes. Remain alert, spiritual things, and pray. Don't give up. Don't give up. But then, what else is prayer used for? Verse 19. And also for me, Paul is saying, please pray for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul is asking for boldness to share the gospel, boldness to share the truth. How do we pray for our missionaries? Do we pray that God will keep them safe, or do we pray that God will keep them bold? He's saying pray for boldness. This is in your notes. Expand the kingdom through prayer. Expand the kingdom through prayer. You know, there's a, you can read all these books on evangelism, but you know, how do you do evangelism? And the good books will tell you the first step is to be praying. It's kind of like planting a field. You know, God makes things grow. Just like sharing the gospel, only God can save the person and cause spiritual life to grow in them. But we can plant and do those things, but before you ever plant a seed, what do you do if you're a gardener? You, you stir up the soil, right? You furrow, you furrow the soil. And it's called furrowing through prayer. So you expand the kingdom through prayer first. And here's Paul, Paul is our example. He says he's a prisoner in chains. Paul right now is in Rome, chained to a Roman guard. Paul is in prison, and here's what he's writing. So picture that now. Paul in prison, in Rome, and these are his words. Please pray for me. If you were in prison and you were writing to us, what would you write? Hey, please pray for me. I'm cold. Um, I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah, I don't sleep well at night. That's not what Paul wrote. Please pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. He said, I'm not a prisoner in chains, I'm an ambassador. And an ambassador, somebody goes from one nation to another, representing the nation they came from. Paul says, I belong to God. I am part of his kingdom. In Colossians, Colossians 1, 13 and 14, he wrote that, uh, oh goodness, can I remember this verse? Um, in him, we have redemption. Oh wait, no, what he said, we have been transferred, that's right, we have, yet we have been transferred from the, to the kingdom of his beloved. I'm, I'm just messing up. What is it? Who knows this verse? Colossians 1, 13, 14. Thank you. There it is. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul had been transferred to a new kingdom, and he was an ambassador in chains, but he wasn't thinking about the chains. He was thinking about his mission. And he's saying, please pray for me. Um... That prayer was answered. Flip over one page probably in your Bible. One page to Philippians 1, 12, and 14. And Paul writes this. Philippians 1, 12, 13, 14. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, he's still in prison, has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, 
are much bolder to speak the word without fear. So these the imperial guard, these were the guards that took turns being chained to Paul. So somebody would come in, they chain themselves to Paul, and Paul's asking for boldness, and so he shares Jesus with them. Well, their shift is over. They unchain, they go. Another guy comes in, says, oh, hey, let me tell you. So they took turns standing there for Paul to share Jesus, and then they would go and probably, man, this guy, Paul, he's different. Here's what he told me. He told the whole Imperial Guard, thousands, had heard the message of Jesus Christ. Prayer works. And that's where I want to focus on their prayer works. When you pray for the expansion of the kingdom, it works. I don't get it. And I've struggled with this. I've struggled with this idea that God is sovereign. He's going to do what He wants. And I've said this in my life. There is nobody that will ever possibly be saved that God won't make sure they're saved. And I do believe that's true. Yet there's something that we're a part of. I don't get it. I don't get it. But there's something where God wants us to be in prayer for him to move. And now, I don't think that somebody's going to go to hell because we didn't pray for him. I, I don't think that. But I do think there's an aspect of us going to prayer and people being converted and the Holy Spirit moving forward. John Franklin, I shared this last year. John Franklin was a normal guy like us, um, and he was part of a missions trip in 1990. 250 missionaries, they got together, they went to Kenya for 14 days. And he wrote this. He wrote a little book called The Place Was Shaken after this experience. He went on a short-term mission trip, two weeks. And in that time, 30,000 people were saved from this little mission trip. And he wrote this. Our little team of three had just finished witnessing in one of the villages. And we were walking down a dirt road that led to the next. Up ahead were several Kenyan men seated on stools by the roadside. As we approached, one of them arose, walked briskly toward us, and greeted us in English. Not totally unusual because Kenya had been a British colony. Excuse me, are you from America? He inquired with an obvious agenda. I responded, yes. He continued, are you one of the ones who has come here to tell us the word of God? Again, I answered, yes. His voice intensified solemnly. We've heard that you've come, and we've heard of Jesus and his great power. Tell me. How does one become a follower? My friends and I want to know. I explained the plan of salvation. Uh, I explained the plan of salvation without the least. Sorry, I wrote this one. I explained the I explained the plan of salvation to him. After with which, without the least trace of hesitation, he immediately replied, "Let's pray." I thought to myself that was too easy. He must not have understood. So I explained it again. I understood the first time, he said with impatience, let's pray. And then he writes, you see why this story summed it up. The glory of God fell so powerfully, they came to us to be saved. And that, but in those two weeks, 30,000 people were saved. And so they started to figure out what the heck happened. What's been going on? And so they did some research and they found out that in that area, the entire time that they were there, those 14 days, a different church would spend all night in prayer in, in Kenya. So these churches had been praying for God to move in Kenya. This small missions trip came. They spent all night in prayer while they were there. They took turns. So, I mean, not everybody was up all night. But they took turns praying all night, and God moved mightily. This is in our day and age. Prayer works. And they wrote this. The greatest workings of God come by corporate prayer. We will not see the power of God in sufficient measure to change the world around us until we pray together. 
As I was reading this week just on prayer, I came over story after story after story just like this. Stories of here in campuses and churches where people decide, you know what? We can't fight this battle. We're just going to pray. And they did. And it took time sometimes. But God moved mightily. And revival happened because of prayer. Charles Spurgeon calls prayer the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. Charles Spurgeon, again, he says this, that prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. He says because prayer can do anything God can do, and God is infinite. Therefore, prayer is infinite. Now, again, I, I kind of made notes in here. We can get caught up in the theology of prayer. But wait a minute. If God is sovereign and he doesn't need us, how can our prayers actually influence what he does? I don't know, but they do. And you see that throughout Scripture. Moses prayed, and God spared the people of Israel. Elijah prayed, and it didn't rain for three years. Men prayed, and God acted. Elijah then prayed, and it rained. You can read about that in the New Testament also. I struggled with some of these other quotes that I read. Hudson Taylor said, It's possible to move men through God by prayer alone. It is possible to move men through God by prayer alone. George Mueller, another great missionary, he claimed that four hours of work with one hour of prayer equals more than five hours of work. So it was his habit to wake up and pray for an hour and then work for four. <laughs> that was kind of, if he's going to work for eight, he better pray for two, whatever it is. Uh, maybe you've heard of, of uh, Martin Luther. Martin Luther would begin each day with two hours of prayer. And he's quoted as saying that, well, this next week is a very busy week. And so instead, every morning I'm going to start with three hours of prayer. And over and over, these, these spiritual giants, these men and women who have done great things for the kingdom, prayer was a vital part of their life. Again, Hudson Terrace says it's possible to move men through God by prayer alone. And I get wrapped up in, but God is sovereign and he doesn't need me. And God says, Derek, you're right. I don't need you. But you're not fully going to understand the details. Just do what I tell you. And he tells us to pray. I'm not fully going to understand it. And I'll admit that. But are we going to persevere and be faithful? Because success is faithfulness. And so are we going to be faithful to go to prayer? Prayer acknowledges who God is. Prayer is the outworking of genuine faith. Prayer is the proof of belief. If you believe that God is all-powerful, you'll pray as if He is. If you believe that God is all-knowing, you'll pray as if He is. If you believe that God is all-good, you'll pray as if He is. If you believe God can do what you and I cannot do, you'll pray as if that's true. The problem is so often I don't think we believe that. And so we get up and we think, I'm going to accomplish more in my own strength and we go get to work. Rather than realizing our battle is spiritual, only God can do it. If we're going to do anything, let's pray, and then let's get to work. This message is more for me probably than anybody else in this room. But this is serious stuff. We're in a battle. And are we going to pray? As we commit to be people of prayer, He'll teach us how to pray. He'll show us what to pray for. He'll lead us. Again, it's just hanging the sails. And then he'll guide the rest. For me, I like, I'm a planner. I like to look far ahead. Okay, where are we going to be? And there's part of that that's good. And then part of that that just goes, just be faithful and I'll guide you. And sometimes it's going to be one step at a time. But he'll guide our path. He'll direct us. So here's, here's our challenge. 
I wanted to leave us with, will you commit for two weeks, just two weeks, to spend 10 minutes a day in prayer? And I'm not going to tell you how to pray. That's up to you. If you don't know how to pray, look up the Lord's Prayer and start with that. I pray that one several times a week. I often, often I don't know how to pray, and I'll start with that, and then he'll direct me. Or if you need a pattern, start with Acts. The Acts. Adore, meaning adore God, confess your sins, thank God for everything you can, and then start praying for others. But will you commit to pray 10 minutes a day for just two weeks? For just two weeks and see what God will do. As you create a habit in your life of prayer, of going to God, you'll feel hungry when you miss it. And we've talked about this before, spiritual thirst and hunger. You'll long for time with him. But it takes, it takes some perseverance and making it a priority. But if we do, listen, I'm convinced that if common ground, if we will be a church of prayer, seeking what God is doing and aligning with him, he will do great things in our lives, in our families, and through us for others. And it's going to be hard, but he will. I'm also convinced that if we won't do the hard work of prayer, then we're going to be bored and ineffective. I believe that's true. And so I'll challenge you. Let's pray. Let me pray. And then we'll worship. Father, thank you. Thank you that you don't need us. Um, thank you for the mysteries of you. Um, the mysteries of how you work. I don't understand why you work through us, but you do. Um, but really, I think often prayer doesn't change you. Prayer changes us. And as we pray, we get aligned with what you want to do. We don't change you to align with what we want. That would be foolish. But as we pray, you adjust us to be in line with you. you. You adjust our desires to be in line with your desires. And I thank you for that. I pray for that. I ask for that. Wherever we are off, please adjust us. Show us where we're off and put us back on the path. Show us the sin in our life we're not aware of. Show us the areas in our life where we are opening ourselves up to the enemy's attacks. I pray that if we have sin, if we have those things in our lives that we know are opening up ourselves to attacks, that we would be honest, we would confess our sins to you, we would confess our sins to someone else, and that we would go to prayer for healing. You say that, your, your half-brother James wrote about that in the Bible, that part of prayer is we carry each other's burdens of sin in prayer. Jesus, thank you that you hear us. Thank you that you love us. Guide us this year, individually, as a church, and in our families, guide us so that we can go your direction. Let us see your work done your way for your glory. 